If you have unexplained or even occasional digestive issues like myself, or you just want to support your body in the absorption of nutrients, digestive enzymes are your first defense, and I have a 20% off coupon code for you, which I'm very excited about. Even though I eat nutrient-dense foods and I don't eat foods I'm reactive to, I still have random digestive issues occasionally, especially when stressed, traveling, or eating out. I ended up doing some research on different enzymes that help digest protein, lactose, and even carbohydrates, and wanted something that had hydrochloric acid since stomach acid is often suppressed when we're stressed. I found all of that in something called Digestive Complex. It has a blend of 10 different digestive enzymes, including lactase, to help with dairy digestion and protease for protein digestion, and a blend of herbs like licorice and marshmallow root, which are calming for the stomach. When I tell you this has completely changed my digestion, I am not exaggerating. I take them almost daily now, specifically with cheese since I'm trying to up my protein intake, and I have zero issues with dairy. And about one to two times a week, I take them at night, just after dinner, if my stomach is a little sour or off, and every single time, it resolves it. I now have a bottle in my purse. It goes everywhere with me. I travel with them and always take them, especially when I'm eating out at restaurants. Digestive Complex is a synergistic formula that provides support for healthy digestion and relief from occasional discomfort like gas, bloating, and indigestion, I think just about everyone should have a bottle on hand to proactively help your body digest food, especially if you're dealing with a chronic condition or you're under stress. And for a limited time, you can get 20% off Digestive Complex. Just go to mdlogichealth.com forward slash digestive and use coupon code WELLFED20 for 20% off. Again, that's MD Logic Health. So MD L O G I C H E A L T H dot com forward slash digestive. And use coupon code WELLFED20 for 20% off. And you always get free shipping on orders of $50 or more. You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Welcome back. This is the Well-Fed Women podcast, episode number 450, and what better way to celebrate 450 episodes than to have back on Sean Stevenson, one of my favorite guests of all time. Like he said, we are now part of a trilogy. This is his third time here. Every episode, he's always knocking it out of the park. He's dropping some knowledge bombs. Today, our focus is really on the impact of the family culture and the environment around eating and how that can greatly impact not just our health, but also the health of our kids and our family. So we dive into a lot of the literature around what impacts us as we eat. So not just the what, you know, I've had Sean on multiple times. We've talked about the what. We've talked about eating smarter. And that's important. We talk about that every week, right? But I don't think a lot of us consider the where and the environment. And the literature is strong in showing how much connections and relationships impact our health, impact our stress levels, and even impact our digestion. This one was pretty eye-opening, and we do go over science-backed ways to make family meals more consistent and rewarding and just family dynamics and 
how to improve overall family culture and food culture. So fun discussion. Most of you know who Sean is. I will link to his other two episodes in the show notes. He is the host of the Model Health Show. That's themodelhealthshow.com, but you can listen to it, of course, wherever you're listening to this podcast. He's also the author of Sleep Smarter and Eat Smarter. But now, more recently, he's come out with his new book, Eat Smarter, the family cookbook. Guys, the recipes in this cookbook, I'm excited to make them. Most of them are gluten and grain-free, high protein, very creative. His whole family was involved. In addition to all the books and the Model Health Show, he is also a graduate of University of Missouri-St. Louis. Sean actually studied business, biology, and nutrition science and became a co-founder of Advanced Integrative Health Alliance. He also has one of my favorite Instagram accounts. He's always on there speaking truth. He's got awesome clips from his podcast, and they're always incredibly informational. His Instagram is at Sean Model. That's S-H-A-W-N Model. So now let's get to the interview. So welcome back, Sean, for the, I believe it's third time. You might have made a record for the most <laughs> visited the most the most frequent guest of mine um which for obvious reasons always the best episodes and we always have awesome conversations so i'm so excited to talk about your new book the eat smarter family cookbook i was diving in i have some questions about recipes so i'm i'm excited to have you on awesome trilogies can be good there are a few trilogies <laughs> out there so i'm excited about this Good. Um, so when it comes down to it, um, health starts with your family. And you've been kind of a great example of that over the years. Certainly, it doesn't have to be defined by the family because you can grow up and do better. But the biggest influence we have in our children's relationship with food and their physical health really starts with our family dynamic in the kitchen. And that's what this book is all about. And you start the book with this title, which really took me back. It says, Food Literally Saved My Life. At 20, you had an advanced arthritic condition in your spine. You had low bone density, which resulted in a broken hip. And these are things that a lot of people in you know, 40, 50, 60 deal with. And they're experiencing in our society, and it's sort of considered the norm. It's kind of like what happens to you, and there's not much that you can do about it other than try to eat right and exercise. So talk to me about, in quotations there, so talk to me about mm -hmm. how you used food to reverse these conditions and change the course of your life at such a young age. Yes, yeah, a great question. And even getting that diagnosis at 20, you know, degenerative disc disease, and as you mentioned, having my breaking my hip, my iliac crest, the tip of my hip broke off when I was at track practice running. I didn't fall, but my bones were just so brittle that uh, my bone broke off, which is, you know, just crazy. Yeah. And that happened when I was 15. And so when those things are happening, what a lot of times we don't think about is that that's years in the making. We're seeing these kind of outward symptoms, like my, my spine deteriorating that much by the age of 20, that was years in the making. And, you know, so it's kind of going back and understanding that we're seeing the outer manifestation when we finally get this diagnosis a lot of times. And for me, it was really just a very simple but overlooked aspect of health, which happens for a lot of us. I didn't know that food really made a difference. I didn't know that there was a difference in food. I just ate what was in my environment. 
And that's what we all do. We mm-hmm. eat based on our culture. There are people, true story, there are people right now in Cambodia who are eating deep fried tarantulas. All right. That's a real thing. And it's a delicacy and it might be delicious. Who knows? But it's so creepy and weird to us in our culture. <laughs> right. People in Iceland eating fermented shark. You know, we eat what we are surrounded by in our environment. And humans of all creatures on planet Earth, we've tried to eat the most stuff. And <laughs> right. this is why our diets are so diverse based on where we are on the planet. The difference, however, is that we evolved eating what was accessible in nature. And more recently in human history, in particular, just the last few decades, we've seen this rise of this new kind of species of food, really, an ultra processed food. And I don't think that we realize how invasive it really is at this point. And I'm very honored to say this, but also this is a really a big call to action. This is the first book to really publish the data on where we are, especially with our kids, Mm -hmm. ultra processed food consumption. And by the way, let's make a distinction here because I'm going to share how I kind of transformed my own health and then have been able to impact the lives of, it's crazy to say this, but millions of people at this point, but humans have been processing food forever, all right? Cooking is processing the food. It's changing the chemistry of the food. And in many ways, for many different foods, especially real foods, it's making certain nutrients more bioavailable. And this is largely considered one of the huge leverage points that's helped us to develop this very evolved brain that we have, the prefrontal cortex, and really making us human was the advent of food and being able to access more energy from that food. Now, with that being said, another process is you know cooking the food, so taking a, a sweet potato and baking that sweet potato, mashing it down, whipping it up and putting it into different things, that's all processing, and taking an olive and crushing the oil out, processing. But that's minimally processed. You can still tell where it came from. There's still accessibility and a connection to something real. Ultra processed foods, on the other hand, is when we might have a field of wheat that somehow becomes a bowl of fruity pebbles. We have a field of corn that somehow becomes funyuns and uh, what else? Lucky Charms was one of my favorite cereals. That's corn based, right? And of course, now we have all of these synthetic ingredients, all of these different additives and preservatives and food dyes and artificial flavorings and colorings, and the list goes on and on, not to mention the chemicals used to grow it, which we're going to talk about, um, some of the insecticides and pesticides. Now we have something that is so far removed from anything real, it's no longer real human food, Mm -hmm. right? And this is what we're eating largely as a culture today. According to the BMJ, this is one of our top tier peer-reviewed journals, and they do a really good job at being balanced. They recently stated, and a lot of people have heard this by now, that 60% of the average American adult's diet is ultra-processed food today, All right, 60%. And as I mentioned, my book is the first one to publish the data on U.S. kids' processed food consumption. This was published in JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association. They tracked the dietary intake of U.S. children for about 20 years. They found that in 1999, the average child in the United States was already eating 61% ultra-processed food as their diet. By 2018, it was almost 70% of our children's diet here in the United States is made of ultra-processed fake food. Oh my gosh. So the very ingredients that we're making our tissues out of has changed dramatically. We're not the same species anymore. And so it's just like a recipe. Like we add certain ingredients and we can have very different outcomes. And so it's no wonder why we're experiencing the greatest multi-epidemic 
cascade of chronic illnesses that humanity has ever seen. And so much so the CDC's numbers just last year, 60% of U.S. adults now have at least one, at least one chronic disease, 40% have two or more. And we're seeing skyrocketing rates of disease in our children. The uh, just, just take obesity, for example. It's essentially tripled in the last like 40 years. With kids, obesity. are you saying? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. And not to mention higher rates of type 2 diabetes, of cardiovascular damage, the list goes on and on in our children. And so I'm circling all this back to say this ultra processed diet phenomenon that we're experiencing, that was the majority of my diet. So when I say 70% of US kids diet is ultra processed food, I was already exceeding that in, in my childhood. You know, it's kind of the beginning of the golden age and growing up in the 80s. And, you know, because of the environment that I was in, and this goes back to environment and how culture affects all of this. Living in a low-income environment, you know, we literally got food from charities. You know, there's this place called the Hosea House, uh, mm-hmm. government assistance and all these things. And I'm just surrounded at every turn by ultra-processed food, by fast food. And it's cheap, it's accessible. And we didn't know, I had no distinction that, you know, wild-caught salmon was different from these ultra-processed fish sticks. I didn't know. My family didn't know. And so we were eating what was accessible, what was marketed and put into our face. And so I was making my tissues. I was eating at least 80 to 90% ultra processed food. And I'll just give you a quick example. So in high school, I would usually, you know, eat a couple of bowls of cereal in the morning. And then for lunch, I'd get a personal pizza with the pretzel with cheese, dip the cheese into the, dip, dip the pizza into the cheese as well. And, um, you know, probably get some surge soda or, you know, some, you know, fruit punch or something like that. And then, you know, for dinner, it's probably going to be fast food once I get home because my, you know, my mother's tired, she's working, you know, it's just, we're trying to get by. And, but she, when she did cook, it was amazing. But even a lot of the ingredients that she was using for different recipes, you know, like this is, I don't know if anybody's ever had this, but like instant mashed potatoes, you yes. know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so just being able to have that time together, we didn't even really have that. I can count on my hands how often we sat down and ate a meal together. Mm. And so to wrap this up, and of course we could dive into different parts of this because that mattered as well. Yeah. Everything changed for me when I realized that Every single bite of food that I'm putting into my body is used to make my tissues. And a lot of people, I've went to a traditional university and now I have all of these friends and colleagues in every area of human health and medicine and performance today. And the very top, one of my good friends is top tier award-winning gastroenterologist. He went to school for like 12 years, 12 years of medical education to learn about supporting and treating patients specifically focused on the organ, organ system that is involved in digestion, assimilation, and elimination of food. Guess how much time of that 12 years he learned about food? <laughs> a couple not of months. Much. A couple yeah. of months. Right. And it wasn't like, oh, this food or these types of foods can create chronic disease. These foods can help to heal. No, it was like, if your patient has this rare B12 deficiency, give them this. It was mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And so he wasn't being educated that the very, even the organ system itself 
his stomach, his the, the, the large intestine, small intestine, all of that is made from that person's diet. All of those tissues are made from the food that they're eating. Same thing with our heart, it's all made from food. And so there's this disconnect as our top tier medical professionals are analyzing their patient's heart or their, their, their blood vessels, their capillaries, what's running through those things, the blood itself, it's all made from food. And so if we're not paying attention to that, we're really missing the point. And the cherry on top transformation for me was when I had this revelation, when I was struggling with my health, I had gained all this excessive weight. My mental health was suffering deeply. I was in so much chronic pain. I was on all these medications, but I never stopped to ask this very powerful question, which was, okay, my bones are breaking down. My spine is breaking down. What are they made of? What are they made of? Yeah. And that sent me down this path of discovery. And the cool thing was the solutions existed the entire time. And uh, by the way, spoiler alert with the story, you know, after that couple of years of struggle and finally getting a scan done, I completely regenerated my disc. The two herniated disc had retracted. And, um, you know, I went on to work in this field. Now it's my 21st year this month working in health and fitness and have been able to teach and train and support millions of other people to really take control of their health. But food is that primary ingredient, literally, that makes us. And that, that's why it really matters. I kind of look at this from two different perspectives, which is the aging perspective. So if I look one way, I can see myself aging now, you know, as you approach 40 and you're in your 40s, all of a sudden you see this path and you hear all the scary things about degeneration and, you know, back problems and back pain. And a lot of people have, uh, you know, peri like for women, perimenopause and menopause tends to like decrease your muscle mass and, you know, bone density issues and all that kind of stuff and mortality actually for older adults is very common for women to break a hip and then they yeah, have complications from that. And then if you turn the other way, you look at your kids, and you look at the people you're trying to raise and you realize how much food impacts them and the things that they're doing. And so I think a, a unifying factor is what you said, which is your body is made from the food that you eat. I don't think a lot of people make that connection. I think a lot of people make the connection that you can, like what you eat impacts your heart, for example. Like, oh yeah, it's gonna, if I eat saturated fat in quotations, that's, you know, a big thing. If I eat saturated fat, it's gonna clog my arteries or whatever, right? We have that sort of, I would <laughs> would call it bro science, but like, you know, poor conventional, you know, nutrition advice. And then you have this very real alternative, which is, you know, you actually need things like protein and minerals and nutrients to build bone, to help support your muscle protein synthesis, all of these things that actually structurally builds a healthy body, which our kids need. So if you're looking at your kids, I mean, gosh, you're giving those stats. It's so disheartening to think about kids getting this foundation what are they going to you know what's their life going to look like at 40 and 50 and 60 so like all what well, you know as moms and i'm sure the parents listening what we're trying to do is <laughs> not get into a battle every day right because <laughs> it is a lot of no you can't have that you know this is better for you here's why but also you know 
make sure that our kids are getting the food that they need and getting it sufficiently, not in tiny little bites here or there, but actually learning to enjoy food and, and the process and the nutrients and having a positive relationship with food. So um, I found can that. Can I add so- something to that? Oh yeah, actually. please go ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, just so that we can crack this whole thing open for everybody listening and they can have this kind of permanent transformation in their perspective, this time with food and our bodies. When I was in my university classes, which is an expensive education, I paid for this. I paid to be miseducated in a sense. Right. But we were taught, and this is, you know, biology class, for example, DNA to RNA to protein, DNA to RNA to protein. And really our genes are kind of containing this information, a template, and it's kind of like determining what kind of copies are going to get printed of us, essentially. Mm. So we got DNA to RNA to protein. And what we don't realize in that process, we're affecting it at both ends. We know about epigenetics and actually we have nutrigenomics, nutrigenetics, looking at how our food alters the expression of thousands of genes. This right. is a fact instantaneously every time. So it's determining which, which blueprints are getting read, essentially. And not to mention the end part, which is when I see you and when you see me, when we see ourselves in the mirror, what we're seeing is the proteins. We're seeing the actual building blocks that we've supplied our body with. All right. And of course, there's some conglomeration of minerals in there as well. But what what are the nutrients that you're giving your body to actually build you with? Your body is going to do the best job that it possibly can. But if it's like that whole like Robin Peter to pay Paul kind of thing, your yeah. body's going to do a patchwork job. And one of the things that we see today, when we see, an, again, an outer manifestation of a disease diagnosis, one of the things that I want everybody to really understand and embrace is that a lot of our diseases, especially, again, if it's not a true genetic defect, something that is onset during our life, it's an adaptation. It's an adaptation for our body to continue to work under unideal circumstances. All right. So a lot of times our diseases are not trying to kill us. They're trying to help us to survive. Mm. And instead of us addressing the root cause, why is this adaptation taking place? Of course, our model is to treat the symptom. And so just to put that in everybody's back pocket to understand that, you know, we have the opportunity to decide what we're making our tissues out of. Because when I was in my university, I have a little bit of a beef still. I do. I do. (laughs) The fact that, again, I paid so much money for this education, but when I was in my biology class, I was not taught. There was a disconnect from understanding how much that mattered to me as we're studying the human cell. I was not taught that the mitochondria was made from my menu. I was not taught that the nucleus of my cells was made from the nutrients I was taking in. I was not taught that the membrane around all of my cells is made from my meals. My teacher didn't know that. They never had that revelation. As did any of the other students. It, there was a disconnect. We're studying this abstract thing when in real in, in real life, it is the most important thing. It's literally it's making us and all of life around us. And so I just want to share that to yeah, hopefully like, that's again, really good. crack that open and get us thinking about it differently. I take Element Electrolytes daily now, and it has helped everything from fatigue to headaches, even motion sickness on car rides. And you can get a free eight pack with any and every order 
with our discount code. If you are regularly active in hot or humid conditions or you follow a whole foods diet, you likely need to be proactive about replacing your electrolytes. In fact, in some of the research, it's found that during strenuous activity, you can lose between 400 and 1200 milligrams of sodium per hour. Electrolytes are minerals. They are like the spark plugs in the body because they are responsible for 20,000 reactions, including the creation of energy. Deficiencies can show up as dizziness, muscle cramps, tension, headaches, fatigue, sleep disturbances, and even some symptoms of HPA axis dysfunction. One of my favorite ways to replace minerals is with Element. I started supplementing with Element after workouts, and it made a huge difference almost immediately in my energy and the dizziness I used to experience on workouts days. Element makes grab-and-go electrolyte replacement packs. There is no sugar, gluten fillers, or artificial ingredients. I have stacked it up against a lot of competitors, and it is one of the only ones that uses magnesium malate as the form of magnesium. Most others use magnesium citrate, which is a known laxative and has really poor absorbability. To use it, you just tear open a pack, pour, and stir it in water, and then sip. I've actually been mixing up half a packet for my kids when they are sick, outside playing on hot days or when my daughter's at gymnastics practice. I always have some on hand because with sports and workouts and sicknesses going around and even gardening, it makes a huge difference. Right now, everyone, including new and current customers, can get a free eight-pack of Element with every order. Element comes in boxes of 30. There is free shipping on all orders, and now all orders will get a free eight-pack. To get Element, go to Drink. LMNT.com forward slash wellfed and make sure to use the code wellfed that will get you the free sample pack. You can also buy three boxes, get one free. Again, that's drinklmnt.com forward slash wellfed. Now that I'm sure all the parents listening are like stressed now about <laughs> what their kids are eating. Um, as parents, we do. I know everybody in this community, they they really focus on the what and, you know, trying to control what their kids are eating. But the research, which I found very interesting in your book, um, is showing that we actually should be more focused on the conditions, like how we're eating. So talk to me a little bit about what we know when it comes to the impact of the environment and the family culture around eating? Because sometimes I think we get stuck in the nitty gritty. We get stuck and then we feel we we did a good thing. We had a good meal. And then the next day we find out they had cupcakes at school, which still blows my mind. I'm like, wait, why did you feed cupcakes to a bunch of first graders? I don't understand it. Um, Why do you want to deal with that as a teacher? But, you know, people do. I feel sometimes, you know, I, I feel at ease when I read books like yours because I'm realizing that the daily culture and daily habits that we have influence our children over the long term. It's not about these tiny little things, but it's about the big picture. Yeah, uh, that's so well said. So well said. And, you know, really, this is about grace. This is about putting some of that stress down and focusing on something that really helps, again, as you said, the long term and the bigger picture, because sometimes we're trying to target behavior change and it can stress us out. And we get into so much judgment. This is one of the things I love about you as well. It's just like we put so much morality onto food and it really messes us up. It plays, we're playing mind games with ourselves constantly. And a big part of that is that that's a part of our culture now as well. And let's define what culture is. Culture is the values, attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors 
that are then of a, of a, of a tribe of people that is then passed on from one generation to the next. All right. So values, attitudes, beliefs, behaviors of a group of people that is then passed on from one generation to the next. We are literally controlled by our culture. We don't realize it. It's an invisible, it's kind of like an invisible hand. It's an invisible force and we're operating within that. And so one of the things I've been really working to uh, teach people about is that even cravings are cultural. We crave what we've been exposed to. It's very difficult to crave that fermented shark if you've never had that thing, you know, but it's much easier in our culture today to crave Pop-Tarts or to crave, you know, um, cookies or whatever the case might be, because these are things that our cells are taking notes on and our chemistry is getting this interaction with. So cravings are cultural as well. And so how does this all tie in with our behavior and the how and the, how do we shift the culture, which just to, to zoom out to meta perspective, there's a larger culture scape here in the US, for example, that is wildly unhealthy right now, as I shared some of the stats earlier. And so we have a culture today where being healthy is not normal. All right. You would be in the minority if you didn't have a chronic disease. That is the state that we're in right now. And it is what it is. Now, with that said, I've spent many years, and I know you have, trying to target the larger culture scape and or getting people, asking them, encouraging them, teaching them about behavior changes and that are backed by science, yes, but then sending them into a culture that is fighting against them to make that behavior change because that, that behavior change is not normal. That's the problem. Again, we're sort of doing the same thing, treating the symptom and not addressing the root cause, which is the culture. And so really understanding that our culture and our environment and our relationships are that governing force. What I'm imploring all of us to do today is to control the controllables, lighten up and focus on creating a healthy microculture in your own household, right? Making it so that healthy choices are easy, making it so that health detrimental choices are harder to access. I didn't, I grew up in the exact opposite in the exact opposite. Thus, my health outcomes were pretty tragic. And so all of this to say, let's look at the data. Now, a lot of this has been going around, but I, I was trying to find the top tier data to really help us to understand this. And um, one of the big, really cool studies in the book is a huge meta-analysis. And a meta-analysis is not just one study, but multiple studies. This wasn't just multiple studies. This was almost 150 studies. This was 148 studies. And this was conducted by researchers at Brigham Young University. And this included a data set of about 300,000 people. This is a huge set of data. And this is crazy what I'm about to say, but this is what they've uncovered. The researchers found that people who have healthy social ties have about a 50% reduction in all-cause mortality. So what that means is people who have healthy relationships have about a 50% reduction and dying prematurely from everything, all right? They found that relationships were more impactful on our health and longevity than things like beating obesity, than smoking, than exercise. The list goes on and on. They were shocked. And other researchers, one of my colleagues, friend and colleague at Harvard, he's the director of the longest running longitudinal study on human longevity. It's been going on for about 80 years. And he's had the baton passed to him. Uh, he's the fourth director. And their data indicates, number one, impact on your longevity, how long you're going to live, 
is the quality of your relationships. Now, the question is why? The question is why? Our relationships are the most influential force on what we're eating. Most influential force on our exercise habits. Most influential force on how we're managing stress. How how much stress is getting created, right? Mm -hmm. And the list goes on, on our sleep habits. All of these things are deeply influenced. Like the tip of the spear is our relationships. That is the thing impacting all of those other things that matter. All of those things matter. But if we address the relationship, what if you have a relationship that is very affirmative of eating high quality food, of having consistent exercise practices, right? Just being able to offload stress is so healing. You know, just being able to have somebody that you could talk to at the end of the day, you know, instead of bottling this stuff up and carrying it, you know, mm -hmm. it's so healing. And so now how does this all tie in with food and family? So now we know, again, relationships, top tier importance. When it comes to food, and this is the integration of like social science and nutritional science, I was shocked when I found this out, but it makes perfect sense. Researchers at Harvard found that families who eat together on a consistent basis those family members consume significantly higher amounts of real foods. So fruits and vegetables, namely, and all of these essential nutrients that help to prevent chronic diseases and substantially less ultra-processed foods. There was something strange happening in the data with like eating together consistently, leading to better food choices. And for me to stretch that out, two studies I'll share with everybody, I'll kind of sandwich together. One was published in Pediatrics. The other was published in JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, because I'm also a very like, I'm a why person. And also I want to know the minimum effective dose. Like how often do we have to eat together to get these benefits? Yeah, right. Because, you know, and like, this is a truth for all of us to embrace. We want change, but we don't want to change that much. Mm, yeah. Right. And I saw this working as a clinician for many years. And of course, just all the, 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 the opportunities to teach over the years. And, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, because we get, even if we're not happy with where we are, we're comfortable with it. Yes. And so bringing about a lot of change and, you know, no matter how passionate we might be about that change, oftentimes we want to take ourselves right now to the new party, to the new conditions. We don't want to change that much. So knowing this, this is the way that I've approached my work over you know this 21 years in the field. And so that being said, what the researchers found in those two journals was that the children in those families, when families ate together just three times a week, this was like that minimum effective dose to see this substantial change. Those children had a far reduced incidence of developing obesity and eating disorders. Wow. Three meals per week echoed in two different journals by two different sets of researchers. There's something about this practice. Now, the last part I want to share here is what can happen sometimes, because we're going to talk about why next. We have to talk about the why, why it works. Yeah. Yeah. But I want to address what the excuse might be mentally and why certain people can't do that because I, I'm not exaggerating. I can count on my hands how many times I sat down and ate with my family growing up. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't a part of our culture. It wasn't. And those times were probably some holiday of some sort. But had my family known, you know, had my mother known that just simply sitting down and eating with us, me and my brother and sister, 
could have protected our health in some way because we all had a chronic disease already. We're in and out the hospital with asthma. My brother and I, my little sister, the, the most challenging and painful eczema, my mother, obesity, uh, diabetes, my stepfather, uh, obesity, addiction. Uh, this is my environment. Mm -hmm. But had we known that eating together could protect us in some way, we would have done it. And so, but the thing is going to be, well, that's some of those result, results are because people are more well off, right? They can yeah. afford, right? They're eating together because they can afford to do it. They have the time. And what, what made me devoted to writing this book and getting, getting this out to the world, this was the like, this made it a mandate. I had to do it was a study that was conducted on minority children who are generally in the context of a low-income environment like I come from. Mm -hmm. And the researchers found that these children, when they got the opportunity to eat together with their family at any meal, could have been any meal, four times a week, those children ate five servings of fruits and vegetables at least five days a week and significantly less ultra-processed foods, chips and soda. And the researchers noticed specifically when the TV was never or rarely on during mealtimes. Mm. And so this shines a hopeful light that regardless of the conditions that we're in, there's something healing and protective about eating together. Even if the quality of food isn't that good, there's something really special about it. And next, of course, we could talk about the why, like what's the science behind what makes this all this kind of magical outcome happen. But I just wanted to lay down some of the science around this special kind of in insulation that happens when we eat together with the people we love. Yeah, no, I mean, I I was kind of thinking through all the times in which, you know, my kids are still young, they're four and six, but man, it's been a struggle some days to get us all sitting down, but also get them to eat the things. <laughs> like, let's be honest, like when their kids, when your kids are young, a lot of times you serve things and it immediately gets rejected. And I had to continually take my own advice and say, I'm just going to keep making it and keep offering it. And a lot of times when we're sitting and we don't sit around the table together every night, but when we do, I'm much more, they see, they see us eating it as parents, they see us eating it and they're much more open to it. And those meals that you make when you sit down are going to be different than those fast ones that you're grabbing and you're, you know, watching the TV eating. But it's really been interesting. I have a very picky eater and it's been very interesting to see her just finally now as a five or a six-year-old start to kind of eat now with the family. She eats the things now that we do. And it's because I've continually offered it to her. And I'm, you know, sometimes my husband and I will be sitting watching them because they sit across from us and I can like see her actually eating something and not throwing a fit and just like finishing it. And we're kind of like, you know, we're like finally like a win. We're hitting each other under the table. But it it makes sense that sometimes the environment, just the interaction, whatever you're eating and what your kids are watching, um, and then the opportunity to continue to offer things more makes a huge difference, too. But I would love to hear from you, you know, why why do you think that is? You know, why do you think maybe it's in the literature, but why is it that actually sitting together improves all of these outcomes? Awesome. And thank you for, for bringing that point up, which is kids can be, I mean, it's a, it's, it's like going to Six Flags every day dealing with these kids. You know, you got all these like scary rides, you've got some fun, some laughs, yeah. there's some crazy foods involved sometimes. Like it's, it's an adventure, you know, to say yeah. the least. 
And here's the, another thing for us to know is like all kids are different. You know, each of right. them come packaged up with their own personalities, their own preferences. And we got to, again, take the stress off because so this is not about being perfect at all. We got to drop that. This is just about finding what works. But part of that is being able to be present and to pay attention because the solutions are there. And here's here's number one. Let's let's go through a couple of these. Why, what's happening behind the scenes? Well, when we oh, matter of fact, let me start this off with a piece of data. And this was looking at adults because like, why does this matter to us? Yeah. And this particular study was published in the journal uh, Family and Consumer Sciences. And they were looking at health outcomes of office workers at IBM. And they found that when these office workers were able to make it home consistently and have dinner with their families, their work morale stayed high, their productivity stayed high, and their stress levels stayed negligible. Hmm. But as soon as obligations started cutting in to their ability to have dinner with their families, their work morale began to plummet, productivity went down, and their stress levels became exceedingly high. And why does this matter? This was published in JAMA, big meta-analysis. Up to 80% of physician visits are for stress-related diseases. Of all the things we've talked about, stress is like the seed that we see all of these kind of outer manifestations. Right. And so there's something protective about parents being able to eat with their kids. Now, sometimes eating with your family could be stressful itself. I don't know if you've ever seen Yellowstone before. I have, yes. Beth Dutton has not finished a meal with her family ever. All right. She's bringing the drama. Right. But it's just like, again, even in that context, it's like we know our children. We know our significant other better than anybody. Just a lot of times because our cup is empty, we don't want to deal with it. We Mm -hmm. just want them to just act right. And so our tolerance is, is so low and our patients are so low. And I'm saying this from experience, firsthand experience. And of course, the opportunity of working with thousands of people. And number one, the microculture change starts with us. We are a representation of our culture, no matter where we go. You could plant us anywhere and we take our culture with us, number one. And we can create an environment that also influences our choices and our health outcomes. And so number one here, why this works is that when we are around people that we love, there's a sudden and powerful alteration in our chemistry, the, literally the hormones and neurotransmitters that are being produced. One of the most profound is the significant increase in oxytocin just by being around people that we love. Oxytocin gets nicknames like the cuddle hormone, for example, the love hormone. But oxytocin has been found to be one of the few compounds that we produce that counteract and even nullify the activity of cortisol. Hmm. All right. So kind of this like glorified stress hormone. It does a lot of other stuff and it's important for us, but we can be running too hot on cortisol as we know. Yeah. Oxytocin helps to like neutralize that. And let me dive a little bit deeper into like, that's what, that's just one aspect, but what, what's really kind of controlling this is that we have this switch over when we're with people that we love from our sympathetic fight or flight nervous system to the parasympathetic. Mm. And its nickname is the quote, rest and digest, digest yes, nervous system. Right. And so even eating together with people that we love, we even digest our food better, right? We assimilate nutrients better. This is all backed in the data. 
And so there is like a complete transformation that takes place when we're around people that we love. Now, the mission would be we've got to, because we're all unique. How do we, how do we create a new culture intentionally that takes a lot of the stress out so that we can enjoy the presence of those people that we love most in all my years of work, working as a clinician, and also just all the years of teaching. Whenever I would ask anybody, like, what, what is the most important thing in your life? 99% of the time they say my family, mm-hmm. my family. Yeah. And when I ask them, is your life a reflection of that? The way that you're living your life right now, is that a reflection that your family is the most important? And the majority of the time, if they were honest, no, there's a mismatch. There's a mismatch happening. We're not really living because we get caught up. Life is life in, you yeah, know, there's a lot right. going on. It can pull us in all these directions. This is not, this is not a time for us to feel guilt or shame around it. This is a time for us to take our power back and start to intentionally create some, some small changes so that our life can start to reflect what matters to us most. Stop letting all these days go by without creating some structure around having this opportunity to connect with our family, because this is the third part of many other reasons why is that that dinner table or lunch or coffee, whatever it is, that dinner table is a unifier. It's a unifier of family. It's an opportunity, as you said, to literally sit across from our children and to see them, Mm -hmm. to actually see them, to get real FaceTime, to Mm -hmm. actually see our children, because most of our communication is nonverbal, to see the subtleties, to see certain behavior traits. And also, regardless of where our, our kids are on this age spectrum, to be able to offload. And for them, for example, you can catch, I can't tell you how many times we, we let things linger on and they manifest into a big problem because we're not seeing it early. And a lot of times just in the subtleties, when our kids are talking at the dinner table, we can pick things up and we can address things. We can support. And just the fact of something special gets unlocked in us when we, when we're seen, Yeah, you know, just feeling like we're, we're, we're being seen feeling like we have a sense of significance and also for us too. And so this is another really healing factor that can take place. But again, we have to come into this intentionally. And so what I'm advocating for is let's today, if we can hit that minimum effective dose, yeah, we don't have to, but maybe it's just even two days, right? If, if, you, if this is something that's not a part of your family culture right now, but what I would implore you to do is to put it on the schedule, like actually put it on your Google calendar, or whatever kind of calendar you use, because we put all of these other things on our calendars that matter far less to us than our, than our family, than our kids. Schedule it, make it real, put it on for my family. Tip, I mean, everything, again, we have to have some flexibility here, but it might be Monday, Wednesday, family dinner, and then brunch on Sunday. You know, because that might fit with our lifestyle right now, but that's changed recently, you know? So for example, we had a Monday schedule. And again, as we have this as a, as a family mandate and family culture, we find more ways just to be graceful and to pivot when need be. Uh, Just like, it was maybe like two weeks ago, my wife was going to come home and, and make dinner after she went to an appointment, but LA traffic happened. Mm. And so it was kind of getting late in the evening. My son had school in the morning, my youngest son. And 
Um, you know, obviously, you know, I've got work obligations, all the things. So I'm just like, okay, what are we going to do? Boom. I hit DoorDash. There's that little app. And of course, there's a spectrum of food choices as well, quality. But I got some food delivered to, to our house, but I still sat down and ate with my boys. Mm-hmm. I still sat down. That was still the part of the family culture, our routine that I could still take advantage of. And I got to see my boys. I got to hear their voices. I got to pick up the subtleties. I got to see their interactions with each other, you know, and I made the best of the situation. It wasn't perfect, my ideal thing, but I was just able to pivot and to adjust. And so again, that's some of the behind the scenes, why there's more. And also one of the things that we talk about in the Eat Smarter Family Cookbook is like, okay, all this sounds great and powerful and real, but how do I do it? Like, what do I do to actually start to create a healthier culture? Like, what are some of the implements? Because right now, my kids love, you know, Blue's Clues way more than family dinner or, you know, you, right. you just I, mentioned I can Paw Patrol. I Jordan watching Blue, Blue's Clues. Yeah, I'm sure that's <laughs> he was a blue. Show. He was a Blue's Clues kid. Was he? Right? Jordan was about that life when he was a little kid. And, uh, you know, now it's like Johnny Quest. My youngest son is into some, you know, cartoon or whatever. But we have to understand we're addicted. Yeah. We need to understand this is safe space. We're addicted. All of us are addicted to our devices and our devices can divide us. Yes. And so how do we understand? Okay. This is, we have this chemistry that's created when we're on our devices that makes us very connected to them. What do we do? to make family meals equally or even more valuable or, or, or exciting to engage in? What are some of those steps? And if we have time, we can get into some of them, but we've got to understand our psychology. You know, mm-hmm. we've got to make this worth it. Don't, we can't make it so that it's a, such a chore and so hard, yes. just like, right. because if we do that to ourselves, we will not sustain it. As a matter of fact, we're going to be pissed a lot of the time when we have yeah. to, to go through it. So let me be honest, I have been through the ringer in the last few months with both chronic pain in my shoulder and my back. Also, I scratched my cornea, flossing my daughter's teeth. It was a total freak accident. And I have never been more thankful for my sauna blanket and my blue blocking glasses. I wore them for about a week straight, the orange glasses, because I was so sensitive I couldn't see anything with my scratched cornea. So I was rotating between wearing my blue blocking glasses and like laying in the sauna trying to help my chronic pain. I've I've been a mess, but I'm so thankful for Bond Charge. They are a holistic wellness brand with a huge range of evidence-based products that I use every day multiple times a day from blue light blocking glasses to EMF management to their new infrared sauna blankets. Bond Charge has all of the high quality and effective products that you are looking for. I use the the Bond Charge blue light blocking orange glasses every single night starting right at bedtime. It makes such a huge difference if you're consistent with it. It makes such a huge difference in melatonin production. And then I wear the computer glasses when I'm looking at screens. And about a year ago, I invested in an infrared sauna blanket. It is super easy to set up. I just lay it on my bed, plug it in, heat it up, and climb in. It is that easy, and it does really help with muscle tension, and it reduces some of my chronic pain. I've also noticed a big shift in my soreness overall. So when I'm holding a lot of tension, when I'm holding a lot of soreness, it kind of just 
melts that all away. Ultimately, it's an incredible way to support your lymphatic system and detoxification too because it heats up your body internally and helps promote sweating. You will be relaxed and re-energized and recover better. So if you have been eyeing saunas, I could not recommend this blanket more, and we have a deal for you that you will not find anywhere else. Go to Bond Charge, that's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E dot com forward slash well-fed. Use the coupon code well-fed for 20% off. Again, that's bondcharge.com forward slash well-fed. Use the coupon code well-fed to save 20%. That's $140 off your very own sauna blanket. Yeah, that's the hard part because I do feel like the demands on the modern parent are just so greater, like unprecedented. Like parenting in 2023 is nothing like parenting in previous centuries. And we have a lot of expectations coming from society, coming from family, coming from ourselves and what we think our family should look like. And so we have our kids in a lot of things and we we ourselves are trying to do this business and this side hustle and be involved with this cause and make sure we get the family picture. So we post on social media like there's just like we're we're going at a speed that is unsustainable. It's unsustainable. Any every family member is going to crash and burn at some point. Um, and we all do. <laughs> it's called stress. Right. And so I, I you know, the thought of sitting down. It will make, first of all, the thought of making a home cooked meal can be a lot. And I get it. Um, you know, you and I are kind of in that rhythm and that's what we do every night. But I tell you what, you know, I talk to people about this and a lot of people are surprised that we cook every night, that we're not ordering out every night. And by all means, we have our easy buttons like DoorDash and stuff, just like you. Um, but it's a lot on the modern family. What are some, you can just go over them briefly, but what are those science-backed ways in which we can make family meals more consistent and rewarding? I really, really liked, I think you had a point about no phones at the table or no devices at the table. And I think that that's something I even find myself getting really caught up in that. I'll have it on the table and then I'll be like, oh, let me show you this. And I'll, you know, show my my husband and I'm like, wait a second, like, no, leave it. That can wait. Like we're... We're at dinner. So talk me through some of the things that you found to be rewarding and engaging and make it, you know, more consistent. Awesome. Yeah. So, and of course, I even shared a little bit of data on just even if the phone is present, even if you don't get on it. Yeah. There's some really crazy studies that just it being in eyesight distracts us and pulls away our attention and creates this kind of like switching costs, basically, just because our brains know, oh, that thing has infinite stuff in there for me. You yeah. know, like we know what it is. And so just it being even in in sight. And so, by the way, I'm not sharing anything that I have not practiced with and seen it replicated in other families as well. And so we did this years ago, even my, you know, my oldest son, um, you know, he doesn't even bring his phone from, you know, his room is downstairs up to the dining area, you know, and same thing. Like, I'll just put it across the room somewhere. I put it in another room. I had one client back in the day who would leave it in his car when he got home from the office because he knew his behavior. He had to do something a little bit more dramatic to keep him from getting onto that phone. Mm. And the, the thing is like, if you need be, you could just say, Hey, hand me my phone over there, you know, yeah. or whatever. But the data showed that when the TV was never or rarely on, the same thing holds true with our devices, but let's be clear. Now let's just make this very, very clear. 
just last night, my son and I uh, were eating and watching The Last Dance, which is this Chicago Bulls documentary. Yeah. Okay. All right. So oh, that one. It's it's not that we can't. Oh, you're thinking about like a dance movie. I'm thinking about that dance movie. <laughs> I think it's I Julia like, you're, Child, you maybe. and your son? Julia something. Um, but anyways. It was a good movie. <laughs> and so, you know, we can get together and have a family movie night or, or, you know, watch a show or the big game or whatever the case might be. We're not eliminating that. That's an awesome part of life today. Yeah. And we don't want to miss out on the FaceTime opportunity because we only get one chance where our kids are at right now to be present in this moment. And so this is a call to arms so we can have a both and world instead of it just it's one thing, which is technology has invaded our family culture. And so how do we go about this and make it more connective? Um, so we just mentioned and I share some strategies in the book about, you know, being able to kind of offload and keep the, the devices from dividing us at the table itself, but also mm-hmm. making it consistent. I already mentioned scheduling it is critical. Yeah. Sometimes if we don't schedule it, it's not real. All right. Mm-hmm. And now the, the rewarding aspect, and by the way, this is going to be unique to your family, but I've got a bunch of different things that people have experimented with and it's found in the data as well to be valuable and create kind of like a more connected family, but also making it more rewarding overall. One of those is having a practice to kind of get everybody to open up, right? And one of those could be simply before, and this is something we've been doing for a while, uh, before we eat, we all go around and share three things that we're grateful for from that day. Hmm. And what it does is this is activating certain parts of the brain that also it starts to become a filter. So you start to look for more things to be grateful for. Yes. Funny enough, as you do this for a while through the day, which just leads to a more positive disposition. And But sometimes it could be small things, you know, like I'm just grateful to sit here with my family or I'm grateful that, you know, I turn my homework in or whatever it is. But you get to hear where your kids are at. They get to also hear where you're at. And they start to develop some compassion, which we often can feel like our kids are not very compassionate about us. Just today, my son saw, like, I just did all of this media. I've been traveling. I've been, you know, it's been a lot. My youngest son came over to me today. I was just, I was reading and he put his hands on my shoulder. He's like, dad, how are you doing? And... He was like, I want you to, you know, take a little bit easier today, you know, make sure that you take care of yourself. I never told him, I never gave him that script to say that to me. He sees me, I'm more humanized to him because a lot of times our, you know, parents can seem like superheroes or that they can't be hurt. And so one of the things that can help with that kind of empathy and development of compassion is we can go around the table and everybody share instead of the gratitude thing, which is awesome. We can go around and share something that we struggled with. Like what, what's one thing that you failed at today? And your, and your kids get to hear, oh, what, you, you struggled, you failed at something? Yeah. You know? And so there's so many different strategies. Prayer has been a big part of human evolution. You know, being able to sit down and have a moment of presence, right? That switch over, that's kind of, you know, from that sympathetic to parasympathetic, that's a big part of it as well. Yeah. And also just, again, inviting in a different perspective and gratitude. So some of those, those are kind of some of the pre-meal things, but intra-meal, obviously good food yeah. is a great leverage point. And so, for example, 
you know, maybe if I, you know, my son's playing a video game with his friends, I'm like, maybe, I'm, maybe it's a switch now. He doesn't know that we're having family dinner. It's something because we had to make an adjustment, a pivot. He might not want to stop gaming. And so, but I'm like, hey, we're actually going to have family dinner tonight. Which dessert do you want? Do you want the frozen yogurt pops or do you want the Snicker bites? Right. And I'm, this is, these are all recipes in the Smart Family Cookbook, by the way. Um, but it's just like, he know, I know he's a sweetie, like his mother, they, after, <laughs> di- after dinner, they're always like, I want some sweet. Yeah. And so like he, oh, he's now he's looking forward to, okay, cool. Family dinner. I'm getting my, and it's not always ideal. Of course, you got to know your family, know your culture yeah. to use food as a reward per se. But again, it's just leveraging opportunities in the right place. And um, I'll just share one more really quickly. There's there's many others, but that kind of uh, back end reward is, and again, this is going to depend on your family. It could be having family game night, right? Something that you found to be yeah. a fun game that you all like to play. Um, this could be, you know, for my family, for whatever reason, if this has just happened, it might end up like we're having a, a dance battle or a rap you know, freestyle, you know, uh, I've seen this on Instagram. It's good. It just happens. You know, it just happens. And now my kids are very good at it as well. And so it's like activating parts of their brain. They're able to express themselves, just the energy. What if that is getting linked up neurologically to, I do that. I have dinner with my family. Then I have this expression, this opportunity and, you know, or this could be, you know, some kind of a interesting conversation. Right. There's even little cards out there now that families can kind of go around and, you know, ask a question. You know, if you had uh, if you could have one totally useless superpower, what would it be and why? Or, you know, so, you know, one of that is actually a question that my youngest son just asked us last week. And one of the answers was like um, to go uh, for someone else to go pee for you. All right. So this uh, I was like, that's that's kind of brilliant, actually. Um, so anyways, you know, it's finding it. what works for your family to have that back end reward to make the neuro association. What's said is that neurons are fire together, wired together. And so finding the reward and implementing that. And also again, giving yourself grace, giving yourself an opportunity to experiment and inviting our kids into the process as much as we can. And last really quick thing is the kitchen culture itself, because you mentioned how it can even be stressful. Sometimes just even finding time to, to cook. Yeah, I understand that. I have to. We have to understand our personality. You know, one of the greatest tenets that's still said today is "Know thyself, know thyself." I am a much better morning breakfast preparing dad. I make my wife's coffee in the morning. I'm about that. Mm-hmm. I have my vibe. I'm putting on music. I'm singing. I'm the, like that's the more I can do. But in the evening, I'd rather not. I'd rather not. <laughs> If I'm right. going to cook, I need everybody to get away from me. All right. Yeah. My wife is different. She's, she enjoys making dinner. I would, re- again, and also she can be, have her distractions. She also, she has ideal ways that she likes to cook as well. Sometimes she's putting on a show that's playing Real Housewives of <laughs> somewhere, you know, something she knows I'm not interested in. She's, Ooh, she puts that on. I need to connect. Well, <laughs> <laughs> There's so many. Yeah. And um, it could be that or, you know, sometimes she does want us to be around, you know, yeah. and so it's just like it's finding out, know who you are, create the kitchen culture that that makes it so that you enjoy it. Yeah. Right. And like 
don't beat yourself up for the things that don't feel good, but give yourself an opportunity to experiment, right? So maybe it's putting on a show that you like or your favorite music that makes you sing and dance. Uh, maybe it's having your kids in there with you and helping out. This is an opportunity for us to to find what works best for us. Yeah, I, I I saw the whole picture come together right there, which is I I'm so surprised I didn't think about this. But when um as when I was working as a nutritional therapy practitioner with people, the number one cause of of bloating, major digestive issues, intestinal permeability. All of that stuff was that people were not eating in a parasympathetic state. Most of my clients were eating at their desk, very stressed out. Um, and, you know, they had they would have this like horrible cramping or this random thing that would not go away. And so when I just would do these simple little recommendations of like, can you go outside and like take a few breaths or eat with a friend, like away from your work environment, it com- would completely mm. change people. Yeah. And so it it just it like clicked it makes so much sense why being with people you love being in a parasympathetic state makes makes such a difference in in how we're actually digesting and assimilating our food it also reduces stress which you mentioned is such a huge cause of chronic disease it, you know if we can lower cortisol it, it, that makes such a huge impact on our food, even if we don't change the food. Now, when we change the food, of course, which you talk about a lot in Eat Smarter, your book, that um, that changes everything, right? And we wanted to get to it, but we didn't. But you have a lot of really good, there's a section in your book called um, Getting Your Family's Oil Changed, which I thought was really good. But it's a lot of good concrete information about vegetable oils and also about glyphosate, which I feel like everybody's kind of mentioning now. There's so many people trying to push that information down. And then there's so many people that are really sounding the alarm because of the research that we have on it. And it's just the, the stick of it is it's just a part of so many processed foods because it's you know how, how foods are now being grown and contaminated and all that kind of stuff. So all that stuff's in your book. Um I have to ask, because I, I, w- I was looking through the recipes. The two I picked out, you're going to have to tell them. The two I picked out were both Jay's recipes. So he's my boy. <laughs> um, the loaded potatoes. I was like, this is it. This is where it's at. And then he has a four ingredient peanut butter cookie recipe, um, which I was like, I'm making these. This is my thing. So you're going to have to tell him. I mean, it's just so cool that you, your kids, and he, I think you said Jordan is... 22 or in his his early 20s he just turned 23 okay 23 i was not you know okay maybe maybe at 23 i was like trying to cook ramen but i was not you know i was not even as a cookbook author now i was not a i was not raised learning how to cook and these techniques and all that kind of stuff which i love that that's also a byproduct of all of this you know not it's not only sitting down and having meals as a family, it's getting your kids really involved in, in the cooking and the creation. And so your kids are cooking for you. They're, they're, they're putting recipes in the book. Like that's just such a cool family dynamic. And it's such a cool thing that we get to pass on to our, our kids. So, um, 
I loved it. I, I love the book. I'm excited to, um, again, dive. I'll, I'll try your recipes too, Sean, but I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, those cookies, by the way, Jordan came up with those when he was like 16. He had just come home from, from high school one day and he, he went to make us cookies. That's amazing. And he did. And it's just like, of course, we got higher quality ingredients to make these things. And, you mm-hmm. know, we're big foodies, you know, we, yes, are, right. we love food. And also I'm leaning into that and also just affirming part of the reason that we love food as a species is like, we have a certain taste spectrum and certain cravings drive us to eat certain things. The way we evolved, we'd get data back from flavors and those flavors yeah. indicate the nutrition in those foods. And so taking back control of our palate and yes, also like, right. for we, we, like I mentioned brunch, we're, we love brunch. And so I'm, I also made a list of 40 plus of the most science-backed foods that improve metabolic health, support mental well-being, sleep quality, the list goes on and on. They all have their associated emojis on what they're good for, by the way. And it's just like, okay, so we've got these sweet potatoes or we've got, you know, salmon. People know about salmon. Yeah, that's cool. We have this wonderful honey sriracha salmon, by the way, but let's make those into burgers, which is one of my favorite recipes right now that I'm, that I'm loving. But these salmon burgers are out of this world delicious. And, you know, the same thing, everybody's invited to this party, by the way, whatever diet framework they are uh, abiding by right now, you know, whether it's plant-based, whether it's, you know, paleo, whatever the case might be, this is inclusive because we're infighting about minutia right now when the majority of our children's diet is ultra processed food, when the majority of American adults diets in many other countries around the world is ultra processed foods. We need to come together under the under the umbrella of real food and delicious food, let deliciousness be the leading force, the guiding light for us right? and stop trying to deprive ourselves and have really delicious foods. Like, you know, we have sweet potato pancakes, for example. And now we've got like the, the foundational ingredient is a real food packed with nutrients, like anthocyanins that can help to improve our memory, like, and it's a pancake. You know, also we're increasing the protein fraction in those, by the way. And here's the thing outside of like, you know, baking or boiling, you know, getting the potato set up, the recipe is simple. Yes. We don't need 25 ingredients because it's another thing that was apprehension. Got many colleagues who have recipe books and sometimes that complexity can be the barrier to entry as well, you know? And so most of the recipes are very simple and most importantly, delicious because that's, I don't want to be involved if it's not delicious, me neither. So, you know, yeah. that's, it's, it's, it's a really special project and you know, it's, everybody can pick it up wherever books are sold, Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, your favorite local bookstore. And if people pop over to eatsmartercookbook.com, we've got a bunch of amazing bonuses there as well. And we actually have a, a family health and fitness summit. It's, you know, 2023 family health and fitness summit that people get access to. They get to learn from all of these experts in health and fitness that have kids that have real families and how they've been able to create a culture of wellness, how they deal with picky eaters, how they save money on groceries and the list goes on and on. So you get that bonus for free when you get the cookbook. I love that. Eatsmartercookbook.com. 10, 10, 23 is the launch date. So if you're listening to this, you can go get it now. I have it pulled up on Amazon it's also, you know, I know the holidays are kind of far away, but they're actually right around the corner. So I would highly suggest getting this for yourself for Christmas or whatever holiday you celebrate. Um, and the recipes look amazing. They are mostly 
I saw the notes in here. He said mostly grain free, mostly gluten free, protein rich. It's all stuff you guys are going to love and your family's going to love too. And I'm, I am excited to try some new things because it's hard when you get in a rut and all of these things are tested and you've got beautiful pictures and I know what it's supposed to look like. So, um, and you got little fun icons at the top, which you were talking about, which I think is so nice because you can kind of understand what you're getting from this and and the benefits and the nutrients, which I think is such a cool perspective. So thank you, Sean, uh, for coming on and talking us through all of this. And congratulations on another amazing book. And also, by the way, themodelhealthshow.com. Go listen to Sean's podcast. You can go uh, wherever you're listening to this and and listen to his show too because you talk a lot over there about other good stuff too. So You're the best. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sean. This trilogy, we did it. We did. <laughs> you did it and, and we did it. But yeah, thanks. And uh, for more from Sean, again, it's eatsmartercookbook.com. You can also uh, visit and learn more about his podcast, themodelhealthshow.com. And for more from me, it's coconutsandkettlebells.com. Thanks for being here, guys. Talk to you next week.